0: Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter four, verses 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you am He. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated."
1: If you look at this passage of Scripture, you notice perhaps that there is a repeated word, and whenever the Bible repeats a word, it's meant to point to us to a theme, a, a picture, and something that certainly in this instance, Jesus wants what wants us to Fixate ourselves on. And the word here is the word worship. Uh, It comes 10 times in this passage. And it's a word that for many of us we are familiar with. We hear it in the context of a worship service. There is a worship band. As we learned this past week in Gospel, well, we talked about engaging in personal worship but I wonder if we really understand what worship is. Literally, the word worship in the Bible means to bow down and either kiss someone's feet in that process of bowing down or to kiss the hem of a garment that they're wearing. That picture should show you it's about complete submission and dependence. It's completely vulnerable when you are bowing down before someone They could do anything they want to you, and you have no recourse. And so by definition, then, you would think it would be impossible to give a half-hearted worship or a false worship, because that's an oxymoron. Worship, by definition, is complete surrender, wholehearted, always true, always sincere. But as we see in this case, in regards to this woman, as well as to all of us, It is possible to take part in a worship service or to be in a house of worship or to do acts of worship, but in actuality, not worship Jesus at all, because worship is more than actions. It's not simply physical. It's a heart of adoration, and it's meant to lead us to who Jesus is and what he has done. And so what I'd like to do is to focus on two aspects of this true worship that we see pretty clearly in verses 23, 24, and then 24 to 26. First is that true worship is in spirit, and then secondly, true worship is in truth. So first, true worship is in spirit, verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus tells us here that because God is spirit, worship has to be in spirit. That is to say that worship cannot be simply physical. It's not an action of your hands and your feet alone. It's not to say that it doesn't encompass such things. But it's not only that. It's not what we do, where we go, um, how we express ourselves physically. Because if it was just physical, that would contradict the very character and nature of God, Jesus shows us, because God himself is spirit. And so the true worship that God seeks is not simply one that expresses itself externally and physically. It actually is meant to reflect what we are experiencing truly in our hearts. And this then impacts the way that we consider such things as acts of worship, prayer, singing, listening to God's word, gathering before God's people. Many of us, perhaps if you come from a Christian family and you call yourself to be a Christian, you are teaching your your children perhaps to pray. Maybe you've taught your children to pray before they they eat, and so, you know they're really starving. They're hungry. They come in and they're about to dig in, and you say, "Wait, wait a second! Make sure you pray before you eat." They say, "All right, all right, dear God, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, Amen." And then they start shoveling the food down. What are we teaching that child? We're teaching that prayer is a physical act. It's something that you do prior to eating. But we're also teaching perhaps the idea that prayer is not necessarily something that you believe in your heart. It's not a a mode of adoration and of blessing and of thanksgiving. And so if we're going to teach our children how to pray and why we should pray, it's important to express that why, to talk about the meaning of prayer, what we're doing before the Lord in prayer, and why that matters so much. Otherwise, We are teaching merely physical forms of worship, and that itself, as Jesus says here, is not true worship. James Boyce, he was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, he says this, many people worship with the body. In our day, this would refer to people who think they have worshiped God simply because they have occupied a seat in a church on Sunday morning sung a hymn, or lit a candle, or crossed themselves, or knelt in the aisle, Jesus says, this is not worship. This is not worship because God is spirit. Because God is spirit, he does not settle for non-spirit worship. Meaning, if your heart is not present, if there's no sense of awe, and wonder, and delight, and adoration in your soul, then there is no worship You might be doing your duty, but is it perhaps you're not worshiping? Not worshiping Christ. We might be partaking in a religious activity, but we're not worshiping our Lord. Sometimes before I'm about to come up and speak, I uh, have to literally stop for a moment and take a time to worship. Meaning, I have to set my heart aright because it's so easily distracted. Uh, it might take, say, a water bottle, metal water bottle in this room, clanging. Ding, 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 ding. I've heard it many times. I've heard it today, actually. And I'll, it just distracts me. Maybe some of you said, you know, I see people walking around outside, and we just sort of staring at people as they're walking outside. One of the great things about preaching is that I get the chance to see everyone's face. I see whether you're looking at the phone or whether you are yawning, and I see the back of your throat. Um, Sometimes, while I'm preaching, in the middle, and it's happened a few times, where someone will come in late and sit right up in the front, or close to the front. And then before I'm done, they get up, and they leave. And I've never seen them before. And suddenly, I get just struck with a little uh, unnerved by that. And it's distracting. And so it's easy to just go through motions without actually believing what I'm saying. I'm sharing this with you because it is possible to be actually up here preaching, teaching, and still not worshiping. Worship is about your heart. And so there are times that I have to literally stop as I'm about to go and just pray and say, Lord, I I need you. My heart is cold. My heart is distracted. And I am... I'm very, very um, fixated on something other than Christ. And so perhaps that's you this morning. You've come in distracted, bored, busy, worried, anxious, like Martha, worried. And so all these distractions and Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, why are you so distracted? Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget why you've come. And it's very, very important that we know this or else we will not be worshiping, not in spirit. And if we're not worshiping in spirit, we are not worshiping Christ. We have to be intentional. We have to battle for worship. If we are singing songs, you know, we sang some songs today and those songs that were sung, perhaps some of them are new, some of them are different. But I really want to commend you to look at the words Consider them. Don't just simply mouth them. When I w- first started leading worship, it was I was a college pastor. And the first time I ever did it, it was with a, a group of college students they were leading. And here I am, a 23-year-old co- uh, college pastor, seminary student. I didn't know any of the people that were in the band. I actually didn't know how to play the guitar or sing or do anything. So it was a real mess. And there's it's just a funny, funny event. But I was talking to one of the college students. It was a freshman girl and she was, she, I didn't know her, she didn't know me, but she said, she was just giving me some hints <laughs> and she said, whatever you do, just close your eyes because if you look out there, everyone's dead. Spiritually dead. She, meant. she was so bothered by that. She, she had to close her eyes because she didn't want to see anyone because she felt they were all lifeless. And That's a sad, sad reality, perhaps a reality of worship sometimes, is that we're just going through motions. Whether it's someone up here, whether it's someone down there, whether it's singing, whether it's prayer, whether it's listening, whether it's gathering. If our hearts are not there, Jesus is saying, we are not worshiping because God is spirit. So he actually cares about what you are experiencing in deep in your soul. And one thing we know is that God, in his word, he wants us to believe, to know him, to trust in him. He wants us to fill ourselves with his word. We are not Buddhists. We do not empty ourselves and try to get to a new level of nirvana, to try to empty ourselves to get to a higher state. We worship a person, the historical resurrected Christ, And we want to fill ourselves with who he is and what he has done historically, intellectually. And anything less than that, perhaps we're not really worshiping. I want to quote again Martin Lloyd-Jones, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, there are people who use strange expressions with regard to prayer. They talk glibly of having their QT they mean quiet time, but they're to going into the presence of God as I had my QT. Do we realize what we are saying? Is not this the explanation of the poverty of our lives and the poverty of the whole condition and state of the church? Why she is so ineffective and why things are as they are. It is no use saying, I pray, I've had my QT or I've had my DPM, daily prayer meeting. How can these things be? What is the matter with us? Where do we get our ideas of worship and of prayer? Certainly not from the New Testament. We have minimized our worship by labeling them with a strategy, a plan. And I learned this very early on when I first turned to Christ and automatically are given a structure. Now, I know for many of us, we like structure. We like the plan. The challenge of having a structure and a plan is that in and of itself, it's not wrong. But if we are not careful, we place our hope in the plan and the structure rather than the person, the person whom we're worshiping. And so simply checking off boxes on on Sunday morning or every day is not about worship. It's about doing religious duties. And yes, you can check boxes and worship the Lord. But we have to be intentional about that. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones is bringing up is this idea of QT, quiet time, which I think for so many Christians, we have that label. But you know, it's never found in the Bible. What is found in the Bible is worship. And the question that remains for all of us is, when you spend time with the Lord in his word, even on Sundays, wherever you are, are you worshiping Christ or are you simply doing a religious duty? It's a wonder then that any Christian at all has any type of power. In fact, so often we are powerless in this fight of faith because we aren't worshiping Christ. We so easily succumb to sin and Satan because we are too busy having QTs without actually having worship. And so we have to realize that physical expressions in and of themselves are not worship at all. know, I fell into this trap and it's a trap very early on in church ministry. When we were a very small young church, one of the great challenges was, again, leading worship and seeing so many people who it seemed like they weren't worshiping Christ as we sang and all these things. So I had this really crazy, now looking back, idiotic idea. This idiotic idea was that there were a few people who had that man, I just have a real zeal for worship, singing at least, singing songs about Christ. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I went to each one of them and said, can you sit together and maybe through your worship, it will be a, almost like a worship contagion that will go forth and spread to everybody else. I mean, really what I was trying to form was a worship cheerleading band. And it, uh, it completely flopped. A couple of things happened. One is that as they sat together, they themselves stopped worshiping. They became so self-conscious of it that they didn't worship at all. Second is that to think that someone worships based solely on physical expression, it could be the raising of the hands, it could be singing really loud, it could be jumping up and down, that's not worship in and of itself. Worship can come in the quietness of one's soul, in the strong stillness of one's heart. It's not simply about external physical expression. That's what I got wrong. And that's what I think so many of us get wrong, is that worship comes in all forms, but it comes with sincerity. And that's something that no one can truly judge except for the Lord himself. But you know it. You know when you're truly worshiping the Lord and when you're not. And again, this is not just about singing. This is about coming before the Lord in the morning, in his word. Are we moved by God's word? Or am I just simply trying to read my paragraph or my chapter for the day so that I can say with clear conscience, oh, I have my quiet time, so therefore I'm done. When we worship the Lord, we do so regardless of externalities. It's not to say that God doesn't bless us, and sometimes we do raise our hands sometimes we do fall prostrate on the floor but you can we can be dancing around waving banners falling to the ground and not worshiping in spirit and we could be absolutely quiet not a not a pin dropping and we could be worshiping the lord during a holy a holy week and one of the nights we had a time of of prayer and i had shared What we're going to do is for just five minutes, we're not going to say a single word, not going to make a noise. I just want you to take five minutes, just be completely quiet. And initially, as soon as I said that, the band started playing something, and I was like, no, no, no. no." I want it to be quiet because we have a hard time being completely still, like just quiet. I mean, our phones are always. I mean, what, we sh- what I should have done is, everyone take off your Apple watches, everyone silence your phones, and we're going to be just five minutes. And those five minutes were really long, really long five minutes. Can you worship the Lord like that? Absolutely. Actually, we need to do that more. You can worship the Lord in spirit, or we can be jumping around, screaming, dancing, and we could be worshiping the Lord. And vice versa, we could be not worshiping the Lord and super quiet, and not worshiping the Lord and be really loud. Worship in spirit is the Lord looking at our hearts and realizing that within our hearts, we refuse to settle. We're not gonna just simply mouth words or go and read the Bible as though it's just another religious book. It refuses to allow ourselves of that. You know, there are going to be times when you come in on Sundays and you feel tired you're sick you're weak maybe you've had a really difficult week where you have sinned and sinned dramatically maybe you're broken distracted there are all sorts of distractions on all of our worship every when, when it's on sunday when it's personally all the time but it's in those moments that we don't settle we don't just say oh well i'm distracted just going to go do, I, this doesn't work. I'm just going to go do something else So we let our minds just fade away. Instead, like David in Psalm 27:4, where he says, one thing I seek to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. There's this passion to say, I will seek this no matter what. I will focus. I will try and we'll ask for God's help. And when it's hard, we confess and we say, Lord, I'm distracted. I'm bored. I can't do this. Please help me to look and fix my eyes on you. And the Lord will answer that. But I I really want to exhort you, do not just simply give up and say, oh, well, without even any effort, any desire, any attempt. You know, when you're driving at night, perhaps if you've ever driven to Southern California to LA and uh, you're on the five and it's just dark and you just see the the grid lines, it's mesmerizing. It's hypnotizing, and slowly your eyes start closing, and you will do whatever it takes to keep your eyes open at that time. You'll slap yourself in the face. You'll roll down your windows. You'll turn up your music loud. I eat sunflower seeds. You'll do that. You'll chew gum. You'll do whatever to make sure you stay awake, because if you don't, you will get killed. You can get hurt. Spiritually speaking, we have to have that type of mentality when it comes to worship, the temptation is going to be, ah, who does that when they're driving late at night and they're tired? Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, well, I'm just going to go to sleep. It's not how it works. You know your life is in danger if that happens. Well, spiritually speaking, what the Lord is saying here is that your life is in danger if you just simply say, ah, oh, well, I'll just let it go. I'll let go. I don't have to concentrate. I'll just sing these words. And we sing like a mindless robot without even thinking about what I'm saying. No, we fight the fight of faith by actually intentionally saying, I want to know what I'm doing. And I will fixate my heart on this. And the way we do this is by the conjunction and, worship in spirit and truth. That conjunction that Jesus uses is very important, meaning you you have to worship God in spirit and truth. It's impossible to worship God in spirit. You won't worship Christ at least if you're not if you don't have truth in your worship. And if you only have truth in your worship and you have no spirit, then it's quite possible that you're intellectually doing things externally but you're not actually truly worshiping him. You need both concurrently, simultaneously, all the time. And so what Jesus is saying is that we need to worship God in truth, and when we worship God in truth, if you really get it, you will worship God in spirit. God is spirit, verses 24 through 26 says, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. True worship is, is not true without the truth. Tim Keller in his book on prayer and speaking about meditation says this, meditation on a text of the Bible assumes that through study and interpretation, you already know something about what the text means. You can't reflect on or enjoy what you don't understand. And that last sentence is sort of the crux of worship and truth is that in order for you to really have a heart of worship, you actually have to know whom you're worshiping and why you should even worship him. It's important to know that. So your mind is not absent. Again, we are not Buddhist. We are not doing Eastern meditation. We're not trying to empty ourselves of ourselves. You're instead filling yourself. You're filling your mind with Christ, with who he is and what he has done. And if you don't do this, if you don't have truth in your worship, then you'll be susceptible to worship perhaps a snail or a piece of redwood bark. Or maybe you'll be like Joseph Smith, listening to what he deemed was the angel Moroni, finding the golden plates and then forming the cultic false religion of Mormonism. Because you can worship in spirit, be completely convicted have a passion for it, but if it's not truthful, it is not worship, not true worship. Jesus very intentionally uses that word and to tie the two together and you need both. I really like what Pastor Kent Hughes says. He says this, worship is not a mindless activity. It includes mental interaction with the truth about God. And so what does this worship in truth look like? Again, it means you know whom you're worshiping, and you know why you're worshiping him. And it's in accordance with a word that we can actually think about, that we can actually use our mind and our intellect, and it doesn't contradict our rationality. That is the power of worship. It doesn't strip away one part of us. It's all-encompassing. Jesus then shows us both the who and the why. In this very statement, in verses 24 to 26, Jesus responds to this woman. When the woman says she knows Messiah is coming, she's heard, even through her uh, syncretistic Samaritan religion, she's heard that there is going to be a Messiah, a Savior is going to come. And Jesus' response to this woman is, I who speak to you am he. Now, you don't necessarily see that in the ESV or in some translations, but literally... It actually says, I am the one speaking to you. And that small phrase, I am, should be significant to you if you know anything about the Bible. You know that the I am God is the same word that God used to describe himself to Moses when he rescued the people of Israel. When Moses said, whom shall I say sent us? Send me to go to Pharaoh and who's going to do the rescuing? God says, tell them I am meaning I am the all-existent one, I'm eternal, I am all-sufficient. And so that very phrase directly refers to Yahweh, the God of all creation. In fact, it was so obvious to the Jews, to the Jewish leaders that in John chapter eight, when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, the Jewish leaders knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that he was saying he was God, And so they picked up stones to hurl at him for blasphemy. And this is exactly the same phrase that Jesus is saying to this woman of what and whom you should worship. You should worship the I am, and that's me. I mean, it was so startling. And so that's Jesus' point is that there's no way to know God except through him. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, for through him, Jesus, we, ha- we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is to say that it is impossible to know God without Christ. Jesus is the incarnate God. And so because he is God himself and the means by which we know the Father, that's why we worship him. And worship is only right to God himself. So when Jesus is saying, I am, he's saying, this is why you need to worship me because I am him. And that's why we teach and preach Christ. That's why we talk about Jesus all the time. That's why every sermon that you hear in some way, regardless of where you're hearing this sermon from, if I was preaching through Numbers, if I was preaching through Leviticus, if I was preaching through First Kings, if I was preaching through Malachi, you should still hear about Christ because Jesus says in Luke 24 that the Hebrew scriptures, it's about me. And so the point of scripture is to show you who Christ is because he is the incarnate word, the logos. He is in the beginning of the word and the word was with God, the word was God. This is all about Christ, all about him. And so when this woman is saying, where's the Messiah? Jesus is saying, that's me. And that's what worship is. You need to worship who I am. Who, And so we have to sing about him. Our songs should reflect him. Our teaching. I hope we do that. I hope we do that somewhat decently. I will say, I, I do think we, we do it better than we used to do it, say, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, where Christ was not always the center Sometimes, if you ever visit a church or leave Wellspring, go to another church, go to a church where you hear the name of Christ. And if you never hear about Jesus, you need to leave that church. Every church, if it is a Christian church, a gospel church, they speak about Jesus pretty regularly. And so if you go for four Sundays in a row and you never hear Jesus once, you need to really leave that church. Because worship will not happen Without Christ. And so Christ has to be preached. You need to hear him in in songs. You need to hear him in calls to worship. You need to hear about him in sermons, in exhortations, in kids camp, in retreats, in youth, amongst college students, um, amongst mothers and fathers and marriage. And He needs to be the center of everything because Jesus says that's what true worship is. Anything less is false worship is no worship. Now that's the who but Jesus also says that there's a why and you see this in her question or her statement she says i know that messiah is coming and then john the apostle puts in parentheses he puts a little excursion there he says he who is called christ and And then uh, it says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And so this woman even understands that actually what the Messiah, what the Savior is going to do matters. And what he's going to do needs to be told. That story needs to be told. And so when Jesus says, I am, it's about me. All that is about me. It's I'm going to be the Savior. See he's answering her question or her thought. The Messiah is coming, the savior, the one who's gonna save us from our sins. And Jesus says, I am God, and I'm also gonna save you from your sins. And here's the response. It's so startling that, remember this woman. She went to the well. She went in midday, noon, a time where no one came to the well. Why? She'd been married five times. She's living with someone who's not her husband. So it's obviously, this is a woman of disrepute, someone who had something to hide, her past, her present. She didn't want to meet anyone. She didn't want to talk about her life with anyone because it was shameful. But look at John 4, 29. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So she runs to the village, the very village that she's ashamed of because she's lived a sexually promiscuous life. She's had all sorts of troubles and trials and wants to hide in shame, so therefore she goes in the heat of the day. But after meeting Christ, she literally runs to the village, and what does she do? Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. What did Jesus talk about with her? about you have five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. I mean, how does a woman go from someone who's hiding to suddenly someone who's saying, this is what, who I am. Come and see the living Christ. Come and, Come and see. And so when she sees Christ, she worships the truth of who he is, and it frees her. It frees her to speak and to worship. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know what they're free to do? You're free to speak of who you really are. And that's something that our world tries desperately to hide. I know so many, some of your stories, and some are stories of brokenness, darkness. But I have had the privilege of hearing some of your testimonies. I've read them. I've, like, I've heard them publicly. And... If you are in Christ, you should be able to share even the darkest periods of your life. You know why? Because it speaks so much of who Christ is. I was like this, I was in the pit of despair, but I've been rescued. And I'm going to tell everyone I can my story so that, not that they will see how bad I was, but they will see how good Jesus is, how rescuing he is. This is her story. That's what worship is. Worship is very real. Real with the most, the ugliest parts of your heart. But it always is surrounded with the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And so you don't hide anymore. You're not trying to protect your reputation. You actually care more about the reputation of Christ than you do your own. And that actually frees you to be okay, because you are a child of God. You've been rescued. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the most high God. And because you're fixated on the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done for you, that actually allows you to just simply be be who you really are. And you praise God for that. That's called true worship. We need this true worship. In the church. I hope if you have a a story of brokenness, of sin, of darkness, but if you've been rescued by Christ, I hope you are free to tell your story. I hope you are like this woman. Actually, you can't even help but say, I gotta tell my story. I gotta tell it. I gotta say it to everyone all here. You'll go to the village and you say, Guess what? I know I was embarrassed to stand before you before, but here's who I am now. But the reason I'm able to do this is because I've been saved. And we get glimpses of this type of worship, this wonder in our world. When a baby cries for the first time, coming out of the womb, that's a wonderment, as some of you have experienced. A beautiful sunset over the mountain peak, a masterpiece of art, a delicious morsel of food, the end of a brilliant piano concerto, having a really awesome special retreat after two years of COVID. That was a really great moment, a glimpse of worship. But that worship, it foreshadows an external worship that we get eventually, and it's gonna last forever. Revelation four through five, I could give 10 messages, 100 messages on these extraordinary two chapters of worship. But in chapter five, verses one through seven, we're reminded of what John is speaking of here. Chapter 5 begins with God in Revelation 5. God is so wondrous, so awesome that John is awestruck. He's so overcome by his own sinfulness. He feels like he can't approach a holy God. He seems lost. He starts weeping because no one can open the scroll. No one can come and actually give hope to a lost world. And just like this woman at the well where she's going and living her life and just getting by and having her bad reputation, hiding, doing all she can, it seems hopeless. And then suddenly, this man is at the well. Suddenly, her life is transformed. If we look at verses 6 through 10, we see this picture. I saw a lamb, as John says, standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so all these people from all ethnic groups, from all nations are gathering together. And what stirs their worship What makes it true is they see the slain lamb. They see his blood shed for them, that they are ransomed. They've been bought, they've been purchased, and that fuels their worship. That's what eternity is like. And because of that, you will enjoy complete unfettered access to God himself through his son, to each other, to all of us. We will have no more sin, no more brokenness, no more sorrows, no grieving, no death, no suffering, no... No broken relationships, no spite, just simply joy, delight. All these little bits that we get in this world is fulfilled and it will make our hearts soar. We will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So we get to do that today and every day. There are only glimpses, but those glimpses are worth fighting for because it's gonna show us what is to come. But even now you can experience God's mercy, his joy, his delight, and his freedom. That's good news. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the future reality, the truth of what is to come and what you have done for us, as we are about to take part in the Lord's Supper, May it stir our hearts to find joy and delight now, here. Help us, O Lord, because we are prone to do things without a worship in spirit, and we sometimes forget what is true, buy into so many lies, so much of what the world thinks is good, but it falls short. Instead, you show us so clearly through your word, just as this woman encountered at the well, that when we see Jesus and we know who he is, when we understand what he has accomplished on our behalf, we experience a satisfaction nothing can ever give to us. Thank you for drawing us together this day. We praise you, we worship you as you rightly deserve. In Jesus' name we pray.